We are delighted to be joined by two friends of mine, Paul Derry and R.C. Sproul Jr. Hello and welcome to Expositive A Word, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Oh, thank you, guys. Before we begin, I've got to say that if this interview is half as good as the new book you've just written together, we are in for a real treat. That's kind. Yes, I, I hope so as well. <laughs> Before we talk about Call Me Barabbas, why don't you both introduce yourself to the listeners? Uh, I, I think you did a good job of introducing my name, so we'll, we'll start from there. Paul Derry. Um, uh, where do I start? I'm a former RCMP, uh, I guess for those in the UK, I'm a, a Maudi informant and a career criminal who is started at 15 uh, into that lifestyle and ended in 2000 with a, uh, with a Hells Angel ordered murder. And then me coming to the Lord. Your turn, R.C. Beat that R.C. Right. Jr. <laughs> yeah, I'm R.C. Sproul Jr. And uh, like Paul, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Uh, like Paul, I've been uh, committing crimes for uh, all of my life. And uh, like Paul, uh, I have an informant that follows me around and informs my heavenly father of everything that I do, but my heavenly father doesn't listen to him. So I got that going for me. Paul, give us an overview of this book and tell us how you came to write it. An overview of the book, okay. Uh, I just didn't used to the accent there, Dave. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, we'll have subtitles in the finished recording. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, an overview of the book. Well, I, as I just said, it, it starts for me... Uh, probably when I was, well, it starts a little younger, but really takes off at the age of 15 and, and discusses a lot of my life uh, leading up until my conversion. Um, I came to write it. It, it, it's, it's quite interesting because I had come to the Lord and I knew I wanted to tell my story, but I, I just didn't want to tell it uh, in the giving all the credit or the glory, uh, I guess the glory to my old world, my old life, that criminal lifestyle, the sinner type uh, story. I didn't want, you know, a whole book. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a last chapter at the end saying, and then I came to the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in, in looking to make sure that I glorify God throughout him, uh, I went, searching for somebody that I thought could keep me on track and, and make sure I was not only theologically correct, but also uh, giving glory to God all the time. So accountability in, in a sense. And uh, so I, some of the people that I, I had listened to at the time and, and looked up to were people like R.C.'s father, um, uh, John MacArthur, Al Mohler, those types of people. And uh, they were all, too busy to answer any of my emails, even though I, I had them on my social media, on my LinkedIn accounts, and thought maybe they would reach out. Uh, RC, you know, every once in a while I would ask a question and RC would answer. And uh, I thought, well, why not ask him? And I did, and he accepted, and that led to us writing the book. Uh, what's even more interesting is when I, when I started looking at uh, doing the book with him, I seen how much he had been attacked on the media in the media. And I thought, and, and especially from the church. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, now I want to write it with him even more. Uh, now I want it. I, Cause I could, I was baffled by the fact that 
Grace was not being shown from my perspective. Um, so, yeah, that that was how we kind of came together and, and, and the purpose of why I wrote the book. R.C. Jr., you guys have titled the book Call Me Barabbas. Who was Barabbas and how does that fit into the story that you were both wanting to tell? Well, Barabbas is a character that we know not a lot about in the New Testament, in the Gospel accounts. Uh, there was a tradition at the Passover for the Roman authorities to uh, set a prisoner free, which shouldn't surprise us. That's sort of built into how God arranges things. And Pilate, uh, when he's struggling with the fact that it seems like the crowd wants Jesus to be put to death, but he can't find Jesus having done anything wrong, comes up with this brilliant idea, well, maybe we can convict Jesus and then pardon him and uh, everybody will be happy. But the people didn't want Jesus to be pardoned. They wanted Barabbas to be pardoned. He was a, a criminal. Uh, some say a thief. Some say uh, an insurrectionist, someone who was trying to overthrow the Roman authorities. And when I read Paul's story, uh, and Paul had already published a book called Treacherous uh, that told about his life of crime and his life as an informant, uh, but did not include the account of his conversion. And so this was a very important part of uh, what we wanted to get into the story. And so I, I began to think how much like Barabbas every saved sinner is. And, you know, what, you know, Paul said earlier that he didn't want this to be uh, here's all the terrible things that I did that are really going to be interesting to you. And then the last chapter is, and then I got saved. Well, I didn't want it to be, and then I got saved and stopped sinning. And so uh, what happened is the book sort of came together as a, a, an account of really four men, Paul, me, Barabbas, and Jesus. And uh, three of us are sinners in need of salvation, and one is the Savior. And so what I wanted to do was connect as much as I could of what we knew of Barabbas's life uh, with Paul's circumstance uh, to, for, and even to, to do a little speculation, like what, you know, what happens when Barabbas is set free? Does he, is he intrigued by this Jesus? Does he go back to his old way of life? Uh, how, how is he changed? And so I, I wanted to, well, I'll put it another way, Paul, you, or uh, David, you've heard me say this before. It's, it certainly uh, probably wouldn't surprise people given uh, my own scandals, but a deep burden that I have for the evangelical church is for us to come to a more genuine, heartfelt, visceral understanding of the reality of our ongoing sin. And so in having Paul say, call me Barabbas, he's, he's, he's sort of representing the, the grievous sinner who gets saved. But having me say, call me Barabbas, I'm trying to represent the person who's already been saved and still needs the substitute. This book is so well put together. And at its absolute core, like you were just saying, is the celebration of God's grace in which he shows us. Tell us more about that, R.C. Jr. Well, it is a celebration. You know, I, I've, I've said in a number of interviews that I've done, I, I did one just earlier uh, 
this week with your friends at uh, Premier and uh, Justin Brierley. And uh, in that, we did a conversation about uh, evangelical leaders who have fallen into scandal. And one of the things that I said in that interview is uh, that one of the hardest things for me is that it seems like people don't want me to rejoice over my forgiveness. Uh, that, that somehow this is presumptuous upon God's grace. They want me to be in the same place I was four years ago, or they might want Paul to be in the same place he was uh, 20 years ago. We, we don't really believe when we're dealing with other human beings that their sins are gone. Now, I'm not trying to take a stand on issues of uh, reinstatement into this ministry or that ministry, but I am saying that that, that people want uh to always see the sorrow and never see the joy of the forgiveness in fact i i said this in an interview i said what doesn't work but what we try to do is we take the 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 fallen christian celebrity and we say go away get out of our sight don't let us see you go serve somewhere invisibly and we'll let you know when we think you've done enough but because you've gone out of sight they'll never see you yeah <laughs> Uh, so what I want is for all of us to be able to repent publicly, to own our sins publicly, and to own God's grace publicly and to rejoice. So part of my motivation in the book, part of my motivation in, in telling the story, part of the connection between Paul and me is just this unmeasurable joy and relief at having our sins forgiven. Yeah. That's something to celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, talk us through the milestones of your career in the criminal world and just how bad did it get? Yeah. I'd just like to add to what RC said too. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard for people from my world to look at the church and see that they could be forgiven uh, when we, when they see that the church doesn't even forgive its own. And so, I, I mean, I, th I really think that's a, a big part of what we're trying to say in mm. this anyway. Um, how, did, how bad did it get uh, in my criminal career and, and in, the, in the crime world and, and as an informant? You know, it's interesting. It's, it's a life of lies, especially for me living both sides, playing both sides of the fence. Uh, so did it get bad? It got as bad as it gets. I mean, it went from petty thievery to... Uh, you know, taking a man's life. Um, I, I don't. I don't think it could get any worse than that. I think that you know some of the milestones in, in in amongst that was at 15 becoming the informant. That turned me into living a double life. Um, from there, uh, living this double life, it was it was almost it almost became a free for all because on one hand I, I could commit these crimes, on the other hand I could I could be an informant, a police agent, and almost walk with immunity as I committed these crimes. And then that kind of turned it into a, a game. Now, uh, it, I got a seven-year sentence throughout uh, that time period, and going into prison kind of jarred me a little bit, but it really just enhanced the game uh, by giving me more criminal education, more criminal uh, contacts, more more ability to inform those kinds of things. And then getting out of prison, I, I came out 
better equipped for that world than ever. Leading up to only a few years later, the murder taking place and uh, that changing my life forever. Hey, David, let me interject something here that, that I didn't think of until uh, multiple conversations with Paul. He, he alluded to half of the equation of what makes it so unusual to be playing both sides of the fence. One is uh, that he's able to carry out his criminal enterprises with virtual immunity. It's not absolute, but in a sense, the police are asking uh, Paul to establish his criminal bona fides so that he can get in. And so, you know, they're, they're not that upset at the things that he's doing, but what, what makes it even more, uh, effective is that he can always uh, rat out his competition so, so that if, yeah. if he's in this criminal enterprise and he's protecting, they're not going to arrest him because they want him to know what's going on in that world. But then he goes and says, well, here's what's going on in that world. Yeah. This guy is doing this and this guy's doing that. And those guys get taken off the street and the market becomes all Paul's. Yeah. Uh, there's some really perverse incentives in that whole system. Uh, it is understandable why they do it that way, but it's just, it, it puts you in some weird places. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, that, that's 100% true. Well, you mentioned how bad things got. When you was in this season of your life, how much thought did you give to God and the eternal things? I, I would like to say I put a lot of deep thought into it, but it was more a lot of deal-making every time I got caught and thrown in prison or had a gun put to my head or shoved in my mouth. Mm -hmm. uh, that's about the only time that I really gave a lot of thought to God. And it was usually get me out of this mess. Now, I did read the Bible quite often in prison. Uh, one of the beautiful things about prison in Canada, anyway, they're not allowed to take your Bible from you. So they can take everything else, including your clothes, but they have to let you have a Bible. Uh, so it always makes a good pillow. You could always rip a page out and roll a joint. Um, it, so it had multiple uses, and, and it did make for some reading material, but I wouldn't say that I uh, I had any understanding of it beyond that. And uh, Although I did read the stories over and over and sometimes found them interesting, but they they never opened up to me. Like they were never, they were just stories. Yeah. RC Jr. You have experienced the grace of God in a different way to Paul, but just as powerfully. Tell us about that. Well, um, one of the things that I've been alluding to and that, that happened uh, before uh, Paul and I started working on this book, uh, was it four years ago, I was arrested for driving under the influence I had my two youngest sons in the car with me, which uh, made it uh, a felony. And the truth is I was guilty. Uh, I pled guilty. And uh, by God's grace, I uh, was able to uh, serve probation without having to go uh, to jail. But it created uh, a great scandal covered in uh, World Magazine and Christian Post and Christianity Today and uh, turned me into something of a pariah, which is, again, understandable. Uh, I lost my job. Uh, I lost my public ministry. I lost my platform uh, and gained a great deal of uh, greater appreciation for God's grace, a great deal of uh, greater internal honesty, 
you know, I, I remember being in the jail cell the morning after and thinking to myself, well, everyone's going to know this, but it's true. I, I did this. There's nothing untrue about it. And so uh, what do I have left? And what I have left is the grace of God and his forgiveness. And uh, I made a commitment at that point, uh, not uh, deal-making, uh, but asking God to allow me to uh, steward my failure, to uh, be able to remind people of the grace of God. And as I said, one of the places where this, this passion about owning our sin came to me, because I really, it's not just uh, I did this in secret. It's also that, uh, especially for pastors, there's so much image going on, and especially in our day, where we have all the branding talk and the social media and the platforms, uh, there's so much pressure to present yourself as something that you're not. And when you fail, the devil is right there to say, see, you're not that, you're not that, you're not that. But when you realize that you are loved of your heavenly father as you are, who calls you to repent and change, I'm not teaching any kind of antinomian stuff here, but when you realize that you're loved, that you're forgiven, that you're adopted, and that he knows you better than you know yourself, better than the devil knows you, every time the devil accuses you, you can say, go put God on the stand. He'll testify more against me. And, uh, but then he'll get back in the judge's chair and say, not guilty, because he loves me. And so I, I just, I want people to experience the blessing of having those idols that were idols in my life, the, the popularity, the audience, have those things just rip right out of my hands. And for me to see, oh, what's left is the Pearl of Great Price. Paul, can you remember when you first felt God drawing you to him and what happened? Sure. I, I, you know, I, I, I'd go back to the question Archie asked me when we were writing uh, one of the chapters called uh, Breaking Gravis. I had lots of uh, time to contemplate all these times that God had placed his hand on my life to slow me down. Well, in that, I seen God was drawing me to him through all that. But probably the most memorable one would be right after the Hells Angel hit, I had been arrested on a Friday. The, it was actually Thursday the 12th, and the interrogation went into Friday the 13th. Uh, that stands out in my memory quite well, but I was laying in the cell, and for a moment, uh, I had a memory of this guy who had come into prison and was preaching. And I, I just remember he was outside my cell window in this area in the prison, and he was loud and boisterous. And he, I remember no eyes have seen, no ears have heard. And I was like, I wish this guy would be quiet. But that day in that cell, those words came back in my in my ears. And I thought, what is this going on? Why, why am I even thinking of that? And uh, I wasn't really thinking about, unlike, you know, uh, RC, I had nowhere to fall from. I mean, I was, it was actually a badge of honor to be in, in, in prison to do a Hells Angel murder. So I was looking at it from a different viewpoint, I guess. And just thought, I, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. 
I, and I just kind of quickly said, God, if you want me out of this life, I, you got to do something because I'm screwed now. So, and that, and that was it for a, a while. But six months later, after wearing a wire undercover to the Hells Angels clubhouse and, and taking down all these targets, I then end up on Friday the 13th, six months later, on Easter weekend. It was Good Friday, Friday the 13th. I go to a safe house after a Hells Angel trying to kill me during an operation. And I'm watching TV. And it was, like I said, Easter weekend. And there was uh, Ben Hur was playing on the television. And I started looking in the Bible, the Gideon Bible that was in the in the nightstand at see if Ben-Hur was actually in the Bible. I did. I didn't know. I just thought maybe there was an index or something and I'd be able to find them. Um, but I remember thinking and, and saying to my wife at that time that, you know what, I'm going to be a Christian. I had no idea what that meant. I, I really, I just remember And then, and then I followed it up, you know, I, ironically, uh, I'll give you a chance, God. I'll give you six months, and if you're not all you're cracked up to be, I'm going back to robbing banks and, and robbing and pillaging, and basically that was it. And I turned into 20 years later now, I'm not making deals with God anymore. <laughs> Just following orders. <laughs> RC Junior, we, we've spoken before when we've had time together on Exposit for Word when we discussed your last book about life since your public failure. I know you to be an extremely gifted writer, teacher, and speaker. How have things been for you? Well, uh, I would say things have been, on the one hand, very challenging. And on the other hand, uh, in those challenges, uh, I've been able to experience uh, a real sense of God's care and protection. Uh, I remember speaking not long after this happened to my literary agent, and I said to him, the only thing I know how to do is write and talk. And nobody out there wants to listen to me or read me. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of tough. And so things, you know, there have been financial challenges as I've, I've looked for opportunities to put my skill set to work. This, this job with Paul is one of them. Uh, and God keeps providing things to keep us going. Uh, uh, but living on the edge all the time. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm still in this place where I want opportunity, but I don't, like, just like Paul, I don't want to go back to that world. I don't want to uh, be a, 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 uh, a platform builder, uh, but I do want to spread the message of Jesus and, and let people know. And so I've been working, as you know, with your help, uh, putting out this podcast every day and writing a daily blog. These are things that anyone can do. You don't have to be ordained to do these things, uh, and yet they can be helpful. And so I've been trying to do that, uh, put together an organization called Dunamis Fellowship that is like an umbrella over all those kinds of opportunities that I've been taking. Um, but, I, I, you know, it's still hard. And I, I don't always know, and sometimes I don't think I need to know whether the pain that I feel is uh, an appropriate response to my frustration at not being given a chance, or whether it is a kind of whimpering and whining under God's uh, hand. 
But at the end, it always comes back to, I'm going to have the opportunities God wants me to have. I'm going to do what God calls me to do. And I'm going to leave it in his hands because if you put it in mine, I mess it up every single time. Yeah. I've seen a couple of times you've, you've got a vision with a plot of land. nearby. Yes. Is that something you want to talk about? Right sure. Yeah. We, we, every now and again, uh, we go out to this piece of property, Lisa, my precious wife and I, uh, there's a, a, a space of land about 10 minutes from us. Uh, that is an abandoned uh, development or uh, addition, as some people call them. That's uh, got uh, a road around it. It's got electricity there and uh, all the utilities, but there's no houses. And we are we just have this dream that we would be able to uh, build a church building there where we can have a church that uh, that preaches faithfully the gospel, that doesn't lose sight of it that prepares men to go out and preach that same gospel and training up ministers. But also we have a vision of um, maybe building a couple of tiny little uh, cabins where uh, pastors, uh, whether they are just feeling burned out, whether they are caught up in some scandal of their own, uh, someplace where they can come and take in that gospel and be reminded, of God's grace and have a chance to recover uh, and think through uh, God's goodness to them and to equip them to send them back out again. So those are among the things uh, that we would dearly love uh, to be able to do. Those are the kind of things we're asking God to, to send the finances for us to be able to do um, and, and a demand for it. You know, I, you know, you can, you can have all the money in the world, but if no one wants your help, you can't really help anybody. So we, we yeah. want both of those things. Yeah. What needs to happen to make that vision a reality? <laughs> well, God has to have ordained it from before all time, first of all. Um, but secondly, you know, I, I would say we really need uh, a, a kind of awakening, a kind of reformation that leads us to actually believe the things we say we believe. I mean, you know me, David, and there's been a lot of ridiculous chatter out there that somehow uh, this event or my marriage has caused me to uh, leave the uh, theological concepts that I've always uh, held dear. It's absolute nonsense. Nothing's changed. Uh, And but what I guess what I would, the only thing that's changed is I believe it more. Yeah. It's not that I've learned more and now believe it. I believe it more deeply, more fully. I really want, as I've said before, it's easy to say men are totally depraved. It's hard to say I am a wretched sinner who has committed these wretched sins. Uh, but when we get to the place where the church is really able to do that, uh, really able to be authentic and open uh, then I can see uh, support coming in for such a kind of ministry. But uh, as long as we're out pretending and putting our best face forward, uh, we're going to continue to just have scandal after scandal after scandal and heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. Yeah. I hope, and I don't think it's as bad as it has been before, but you have been the focus of a lot of online trolls attacking you. If any of the people responsible for this were listening right now, what would you want to say to them? 
Well, now there's two different questions that I can answer from that, David. One is what do I want to say to them and what should I want to say to them? Because I think I've mentioned to you that I'm a wretched sinner. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that stuff gets under my skin. Most of the time it doesn't. And the better thing, at least I know in my mind, the better thing uh, is compassion. I, I really do believe that a great deal of the rancor against me comes from people being bitter that I can believe that I'm forgiven. And the answer is not for me to tell them I'm good enough for it. The answer for me is to tell them you're bad enough for it just like me. And so what I want to tell them is every bit of peace, every bit of contentment, every bit of covering of every wicked thing you've ever done or thought, every ugly, horrible, lying thing you've ever said about me, that can all be covered by the blood of Christ. And I will rejoice with you if you will come and repent to the Lord and find peace with him. Mm. Yeah. Is it Spurgeon that said as well, whatever you've said about me, I'm actually a lot worse. So how can right. I be? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> we have heard you guys talk about some really tough, bad seasons. Why and how does God use these bad times in our life? Go ahead, Paul. I've been talking too much. <laughs> you talk so elegantly, though. Well, um, sure, go ahead. I'll clean up after you. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, how has he how has he used these uh in these bad seasons um well i i for me it's it's a constant reminder of the grace of god in my life i mean every time i look backwards listen i i wake up each and every day and just am amazed that i'm even able to wake up that i've woken up and that god is the god of God is the one I serve and, and that he loves me and I love him. I, I just don't even understand why he would even want me or need me. And I get it. You know, he doesn't need me. I, it's still putting it into words is my, it's mind boggling because I still don't comprehend it. I'm 20 years now as a Christian, I've grown and grown and grown obviously uh, in my maturity. And yet I feel like I've, you know, I'm a baby Christian. I feel like I'm no better than I've ever been. Um, I guess the places I see it the most, though, probably in my family, in my marriage. Uh, you know, I look back at the, you know, the chapter we did on the brides of Barabbas, and I look at the way I, I used to treat women, and then I look at where God has brought me and how I'm able to know that my wife is, is something so precious, and she's to, you know, I'm to be as christ is to the church I, I i'm to play the role of christ and she's to play the role of the church and i'm to love her as christ loved his church and and you know in, when i contrast that to how i used to view women and how i used to deal with them uh it, it's it's mind-boggling but it's a really good indicator of where i'm at as to how i'm seeing my wife that day each and every day I wake up and I look at my wife and I go, wow, am I, am I seeing her anywhere near the way I used to see women? Or am I seeing her as the beautiful bride of Christ that she's meant to be? 
uh, expressing, and she does so well. And I think she plays her part much better than me. So um, when I when I look at those those kinds of things within my family, and 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 I can see the whole church, everything in, in my family. So we can see, I can see the sin in my family. I can see our failures. And I, and that takes me back to, you know, I'll take fatherhood and husband being a husband and take it back to what RC was talking about earlier, authenticity. You know, I'm authentic with my children. So I'm the pastor in my home. I'm the shepherd of my home. When I sit at the supper table at night, my kids don't look up to me as if I'm some picture of perfection. They get to hear my sins. They get to hear where I failed, where I let them down, where I let my wife down. Um, you know, it's about being authentic and real with them in the way that I believe shepherds could be doing a much better job of that within the church. It's because, you know, macro, macro, how we act in the family or how we shepherd our homes is the way it you know, goes outward and outward. Um, so when I look back, uh, I, I have all these bad experiences to compare and see and, and know how I shouldn't be and how much grace God has given me in all of them, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I think it makes outstanding sense, Paul. I, I was just going to add one little thing here. Um, one thing we know about the living God is that his overarching goal for all things is to manifest his glory. That anytime we're asking the why question, the ultimate answer is always for God's glory. With respect to those of us who have been bought by the blood of Christ, just one half step below that, the next overarching question of how is God glorified in our lives, the answer is remaking us into the image of his son, or to use the language of Ephesians that Paul's alluding to, to wash us with the water of the word, to make us a spotless bride. And so the irony is that uh, and we need to obviously not fall into a position where we're sinning all the more that grace might abound. But when these hardships come, when these scandals come and we fall into grievous sin, uh, the great thing that comes out of it for the believer is it drives us closer to Christ. I think, again, of uh, just a wonderful picture of that to, to compare and contrast uh, three pictures of Peter. Peter boasting at the Last Supper. I will go anywhere. I will go to my death. I'll never let you down. He's actually rebuking Jesus, telling Jesus, you're wrong. I'm not, this is not going to happen. The second picture is Peter rejecting uh, Jesus three times, just as Jesus said. The third picture is uh, Peter leaping out of the boat to swim to Jesus. Now, he's not swimming to Jesus, to be by Jesus' side, to be a co-laborer with Jesus, to be a soldier in his army. He is racing to him to be comforted by him. And that's where our sins are supposed to lead us. It doesn't mean, again, that we sin that grace might abound, but it does mean that's how we uh, steward our sins, is we let them drive us to Christ. Not just for salvation, but for relationship, for unity, for love, for comfort, for peace. Uh, you know, it is a great thing for me to uh, have all the people who used to love me because I was R.C. Sproul's son uh, no longer love me 
but the one person who does love me loves me because of his son. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, how easy is it to have gotten out of a world that you was in before? Uh, it was much harder in the beginning than it is now uh, to walk away from being the God of your world to serving the God of, of your world it is, is, is a, a very, yeah, it was very hard to walk away. I had anything at my, at my fingertips, mm. uh, power, control, money, women, you name it. And to walk away from that and, uh, in, in, in the beginning was very difficult, but at this point, I would say that uh, it's, I would tell anybody it's, it's harder being a Christian than it is being a biker or, or any type of a real criminal. Mm. Um, so the lure can be there, mm. but the rewards of being a Christian are that you get to rest in the arms of your, your, your father. And so they're not comparable but it was difficult in the beginning, more so than in the beginning than now. Yeah. Many of the people listening to this right now will have heard people say that they have been too bad in the past to become a Christian. Tell us why that is so wrong. Well, I think, I think it's based on the, I think I, I said on, on a podcast with RC before is people think that, uh, you know, I was a, a bad person who's been made good. And I'm not. I'm a sinner who's become a saint. Um, so there is no. I, I'm not. I'm not. I, I can't earn my way to heaven. I can't earn my way to hell. So, I mean, it, it's it's all about our relationship with Christ and and His grace and His mercy. It's all about Him. So it's irrelevant uh, as to how bad or good I am. It's really all about Him. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that both the devil and the Holy Spirit proclaim the message, you cannot earn God's favor. But the Holy Spirit is the one that has the message after that, that Jesus has for you. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I just, I, I feel like it's just so incredibly foolish of the church to shy away from talking about sin as a part of our strategy for evangelism. Because the reality is we know based on Romans one, that the biggest problem the unbeliever has is guilt. And that their solution to that guilt is to try to deny that it exists. So that when we come alongside them and don't talk about sin, we encourage them to continue down the foolish path leads to destruction. Whereas if we call them to repentance, if we acknowledge their sin, we can tell them about the real solution. Mm. It's not, I want you to feel bad. It's, I want you to be rescued from this thing that's haunting you, but you can't cover it up. You've got to speak it. You've got to expose it. You've got to turn from it. And then it will be covered. And then you'll be free. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's hard to know, know good news if, if you don't know there's bad news. Yeah. Yeah, so true. This would be a, a good question for you both to take. What is it like to have had your sin made so public and to live out your repentance and sanctification out in the public eye also? I can take this one first, Darcy, and then let you finish with yours. Um, for me, it's, it's, um, 
I find it quite uh, sad to, to to see it when I look at RC's uh, struggle. Uh, he's fallen from something and been treated the way he has, and I've I almost get rewarded for everything that I do and as I grow, and which is quite pathetic, really. Um, so that, there hasn't been a big struggle for me other than, you know, the people that thought, well, he's never going to make it. And, you know, 20 years later, obviously that's, you know, proven to them that, you know, I guess that in some way I'm good, which I said there previously means nothing. Um, but the truth of the matter is that, uh, I get rewarded more than I get, uh, chastised or, or persecuted or, or anything for my public for my sin. I mean, I've come from a murder on you know, to to going upward, whereas it's been quite the opposite for for RC and really, we're just equal. Yeah, I would say this, uh, David. I, I don't really believe you can live out your repentance publicly. Uh, this is also something that I have, have, you know, walked through that uh, when you are a public figure, everybody who knew you in that context tends to have a perspective that they, they, they sort of own a piece of you. And therefore they're all due their own experience of my confession, my uh, contrition, my anguish uh, right in front of them. And so I have people uh, who are telling, you know, who, who essentially will publicly say, R.C. Jr. can't be repentant because he's on this podcast. <laughs> like... Uh, repentance means I've got to be so ashamed. I, I, I literally, uh, anytime I find myself getting into a disagreement on social media, I can rest assured that sooner or later, someone's going to make an allusion to some scandal of mine, uh, as if to end the argument. And, you know, those things sting, but every bit of that pain again goes back to reminding me that what matters is what my Heavenly Father says. So the repentance that I'm walking through is that repentance I walk through with my wife, with my children, with my pastor, with my elders, with the people that I'm with my board of directors, people I'm in relationship with, with my friends like Paul and David. Uh, this is not public. This is personal because I'm a person. And, the, and only persons repent and only persons believe and only persons are forgiven. Public persons are just images. So I, 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 don't, I don't feel compelled. I do realize that, uh, again, uh, there are certain people out there who, who sort of take the view that you don't get back on your uh, platform until after you've had your Oprah's couch minute. Uh, and I'm not going to do it, not because I wasn't a sinner, but because that's got nothing to do with what repentance is all about. So uh, it's another place where I am swimming upstream against the evangelical uh, church, but where I feel like uh, I've got a lot of good people beside me. 
I, I would say this, Dave, that, yeah, please. That just to go back to what I just said, yeah. um, to add to it, there is some parts of my walk in repentance that and publicly, I, I mean, I helped take a man's life. So when I publicly go out and and share the word or, or anything, I always have that in my head that I know that the victim's families are are also watching and and uh, I get a lot of their friends and family who write to me and th that part gets a little difficult because mm -hmm. they'll never believe that I could be should be forgiven or could be forgiven um, so so in that respect I, I sometimes struggle and I had a really good mentor when I first got saved and he said listen you just worry about um, pleasing God and, and let God deal with the rest. So that's kind of how I've just dealt with it all along. Yeah. Yeah. I see junior. What are the dangers? And you've touched on this already a little bit during this interview of Christians wearing a mask to hide their falling short rather than addressing them. Well, I, I would say there's, uh, we don't have enough time to cover all the dangers, but, uh, one of them is it is a great big bullseye on your back that the devil can see from miles and miles away. It is uh, an invitation. Come uh, expose me. Uh, the scripture says God will not be mocked. And uh, what we uh, whisper in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. And that is certainly uh, true. But what really crushes me is uh, when the weaker brothers are so devastated by that. Uh, I certainly haven't had anything in the neighborhood of uh, what my father experienced or uh, Dr. MacArthur uh, in terms of uh, public visibility and respect, um, or even someone like Ravi Zacharias. Um, but when we see people have those falls and have those scandals, and they will come out when you're not being you, when we see those things, uh, some people just begin to fear that their faith is in the wrong place. And in some sense it is because it's in those people. When the message is follow Jesus and you can have it as together as me, you can be as smart as me, you can know how to answer unbelievers as well as me, uh, you can be as successful as me. Uh, God's not going to allow that message to keep going. The message needs to be, you can be as forgiven as me because you and I both need it. Yeah. Why do we Christians love a testimony like Paul's and what can we do to better support Christians that fall short after their conversion? Well, Paul alluded to it earlier on that, that there is this uh, propensity we have in our storytelling that once you get past the danger, uh, the rest of the story is, and they lived happily ever after. Yeah. And uh, that's not the story that God is telling. You know, I, I just recently uh, reread a, a piece uh, I wrote some time ago that I called One, only it's W-O-N, not one O N E one. And I talked about this discovery that I made, which is obvious to everybody else. This is one of those things comes to you late in life. Holy cow. When Jesus leaves the 99 and goes after the one, the one that he goes after had already been one. Mm. 
He doesn't go after a, one goat and leave behind 99 sheep. He goes after a sheep. A sheep is someone who's already a part of his flock. Yeah. Someone who's, and so when that sheep wanders off, we ought to recognize, hey, that's normal. That's what sheep do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're sheep too. So th- again, this, just this, this pretend is just killing us. Again, I'm not suggesting that we need to celebrate uh, failure. I am suggesting, however, that when we see a situation like Paul's, we should expect that he's going to continue to struggle just like I do. And in fact, uh, one of the things that I've tended to notice is for most of us, the sins that we struggle with after we're converted are in some way related to the sins that we struggled with before we were murdered, excuse me, before we were born again, rather. Uh, And so it, it doesn't have to manifest in exactly the same way. I'm not saying that Paul has to fight against the temptation to go uh, participate in a murder, uh, but I am saying that the, the spirit that drove that kind of thing is the thing that he's continuing to fight about. Our old man is our old man. It's another way of putting it. Yeah. And so we need to realize that the old man is going to show up in everybody's life, whether they had a dramatic conversion or not whether they've had a, a lifetime of public ministry or not, it's going to show up. It's because it's there. Well, I couldn't agree with him with, with RC more on that. And, and to think that I came out of the world and all of a sudden just had no struggles would, with sin would be just an insane thought. Uh, and, and I agree with him 100%. I wish we would talk about this more in the Christian community in the, in church and, and just, just let people know that, you know, when you're sitting there thinking that it, it reminds me of when I was a kid and I was going to a Catholic church with my mom and I'd look up at this priest who was up on the altar and, and he is, and, and my mom had him, had me convinced he was just perfection. And I used to think, well, I'm never going to reach that. So why bother bother even trying? Yeah. Like, you know, why can I not just see that, that somebody sins like me? Because otherwise I just push it all inside me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I, he, he said, I, I don't, not funny, but he says, I, I don't know if Paul struggles with murder. Believe me, I think about murder lots of times. My anger sometimes gets the best of me. And my first thought is, you know, I just want to punch that person in the head or I'd like to go out and take them out. You know, I don't like those thoughts. I don't want those thoughts. And of course, they're thoughts and I turn them over to Christ as quickly as I can. Yeah. But yeah. they are rooted in my old life and i do struggle with those things the the lust and the all of those things are thoughts that i still struggle with now i sin way less than i did in the beginning but i feel way worse about this and i commit now mm-hmm. you know it's 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 a growing process it's a journey but yes we're all all going to fall and i would suggest that anybody that's out there thinking that their sin is gone and, and we all live happily ever after. Uh, I don't think they're, I, I, I'd be surprised if they're walking a real Christian walk. Yeah. RC Junior, we can never graduate away from the gospel message. The good news, remind us afresh what that is. Well, the good news is that despite the fact that we continually rebel against the living God, our maker, 
that we can and do have peace with him, when we acknowledge that reality, when we repent and when we rest, not when we try to do better, when we rest in what Christ has accomplished for us, because he came and lived a perfect life that we were supposed to live. And he died a hellish death that we were supposed to experience. He took our place and we received the blessings that he earned while he received the cursings that we earned. And out of that, we are adopted into the very family of God. We can never, it's a forever family. We can never be let go and we will live happily ever after. It's just not time yet. We still have these ongoing battles, of course. But this is a message for all of us, for those who don't believe, for those who just believe, for those who believe their whole lives. We need to constantly come back to this good news because we constantly slip back into self-reliance, discouragement, fear. But Jesus has overcome it all. What was it like to have worked on this book together? And what's next for you both? I'll, I'll go first there, R.C. What was uh -huh. it like to work with R.C.? Uh, R.C. is probably the fastest uh, and most competent writer I've been around. He, uh, he He's a taskmaster. <laughs> <laughs> if you, uh, you want to write a book with R.C., be prepared to uh, put everything aside and have it done in a month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to quickly add to it. I've never written a book with RC Jr. and he's probably never likely going to want to write a book with me either unless it's got lots of pictures in it but <laughs> one thing I've got to say as well I have never met such a hard-working reliable person as RC Jr. I mean every single Saturday evening UK time I'll have an email with his podcast content completely labelled he's just recorded 55 episodes of you know teaching through genesis didn't miss a beat every single week consistently always there always amazing teaching as well just just yeah what what a great guy and i'd say well, that, i'd say that even if he wasn't listening thank you thank you gentlemen very much it's great to know that my two friends think that i'm competent and on time <laughs> <laughs> um but i gotta tell you I, working with paul for me was just really refreshing if only because and this is something i would say to lisa uh, every time paul and i would talk i would just say he really gets it you know I, I i have to struggle with professing christians evangelicals all the time who really don't seem to understand the reality of sin uh, but paul gets it paul is real paul is honest and another thing uh about paul is that he's actually shorter than me so i really like that <laughs> <laughs> do you guys have any closing thoughts other no, than I'll... telling other than congratulating uh, congratulating rc on how well the steelers are doing or yeah <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, Paul, you know that uh, Lisa and I pray every day for you and your precious wife. And that too is one of the great blessings of working with Paul is uh, the little opportunity that I've had to get to know his precious wife and watch those two together. Uh, and for my wife to get to know them 
David, we got to get that figured out. Uh, we got to figure out a way to get across this pond uh, so that we can uh, have much the same kind of blessing. Um, but that really is a, uh, a profound blessing to uh, brothers who uh, know their need for Christ, who know their possession of Christ, who have been blessed with wives uh, that just outshine us. Uh, you know, we're, and by the way, we're both uh, small of stature. Uh, so uh, we've got a lot in common. We both have records. <laughs> Uh, and so I'm, I'm just really grateful. Paul is an answer to prayer uh, to me, God at work, as are you, David. Uh, it, it's just such a, uh, a lonely thing to lose all those relationships with all those people who were in it for the game. And now to have friends who are friends when I've got nothing that I can give them. Uh, it's just a profound blessing and, and a, a work of God's grace. Yeah. Nothing for me to add there. The, the eloquence uh, does not need to be cleaned up. <laughs> <laughs> How can people follow you guys on social media? Well, you can find me at uh, on Twitter at uh, at RC Sproul Jr. You can follow my uh, blog at rcsproljr.com. Uh, you can uh, sign up for the Jesus Changes Everything podcast at all the usual places, or you can pick it up at YouTube, uh, and uh, or you can follow me uh, on Facebook. There's a Facebook page for the podcast, Jesus Changes Everything, one for the ministry, doing his fellowship, and one for Lisa and me together, rc-lisa Sproul. Wow, that's a mouthful. You can get me at pauldairy.ca, and... Uh... The book is available at uh, Inner Sanctum Publishing or just call me Bravis.com. One other thing, David, uh, when he says uh, pauldairy.ca, he's not saying at pauldairy.ca. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not my Canadian accent coming <laughs> It's just a Canadian domain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Have you guys made it onto MeWe or Parley yet? I've just started on, on MeWe, and the other one was Parlor. Is that what you yeah. said? Yeah. Yes, I just, I just started on Parlor and MeWe just this, this week. That's good, because you know we're not going to be allowed on Twitter and Facebook for much longer, right? <laughs> I don't doubt that a bit. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. I'm not sure I want to start. I don't wanna, I'm not sure I want to continue with the fights on Twitter, to be honest with no. you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They'll probably follow us over to me. We, I won't worry about it, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> guys thank you so much for your time i've loved speaking to you both you know I, I i'm really fond of our friendship and i love you guys and and i'm you know cheering you both on i'm going to add the links to all of your social media channels in the links below uh, as well as a link to the book at paulderryca.ca or whatever that is the link of that's going to be in the description below as well guys thank you so much for your time thank you david no problem. thank you <laughs>